This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Ten percent is the nothing personal word of the day. It's a Monday, April twenty fifth, two thousand twenty two. Hope y'all had a good weekend because while you were sleeping, the MLB season is ten percent done already. I did that math all the time. You've heard me with my big magnetic board. Actually, all the new listeners to Nothing Personal may not have heard me, but I had a huge magnetic board in my office. And it was in French because I got it in Montreal and then brought it with me to Florida. And the months were in French, like AVR was the abbreviation for April and MAI for May, JUI for June, Juin, Juillet. Anyway, all the games, all the scores. And it was a big enough board that during the beginning of the season, I had to stand on a chair to write the game scores and the attendance for home games, just game scores and cumulative record on road games. By the end of the year, I'm on my hands and knees because I'm writing down at the bottom of the board. It just goes quickly. So the season, while it just started, it's everyone says it's early. I hated that. Players would always say, the manager would say, hey, don't worry, we're not playing well, it's early. We got plenty of time. It's 10%. That's like your battery's already at 90 when you're using your phone throughout the day and you say, oh, 90, I don't have to do anything, I'm good. And then you turn around and it's 50 and you've got a little bit of anxiety. Then you get a phone call that you don't want to take, but you have to for 10 minutes, you're down at 40. And then you sneeze and you're at 20 and you can't find a charger anywhere and then boom, the screen goes black and you're done. That's what an MLB season is like. Top five observations. So much happened this weekend. We're going to get to it. NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs are about to start. Not get into that. A lot of stuff going on. Here we go. Number one, where's the offense, Claire? Where's the beef? Everybody knows that MLB changed the ball. There's a lot of discussions right now. How come are pitchers ahead of hitters because of the shortened spring training? No, that's not it. How come all the balls are dying at the warning track? It must be because of April. That's always a good one that, that, that the analysts would use. They'd look at the weather and say, it's not as humid, so the ball, it flies more, it flies less. I've heard both. It's like an economic study for publicly financed stadiums. I can find both sides for everything. 
There's a different strike zone. There's a different approach. Now, there's a different ball. So here's what MLB does. And we've had plenty of conversations about the balls. You know that last year, or the year before, last year, they used two different balls. They had extra balls from the truncated 2020 COVID season. All balls are within the same specification, so they're legal, but there are clearly differences that can be made that allow for more offense or less offense. And it's not done in order to screw around with free agency, Pete Alonso. I'm sorry, it's not. It's a much larger conspiracy. And the conspiracy is that the game needs to change. Home runs, strikeouts, walks, the game needs to change. It doesn't happen overnight, but it's going to happen because enough players will hit fly balls to the warning track and they'll say, wait a minute, I'm not getting paid. I'm getting released. I'm getting designated. I'm losing my arbitration hearing. I better get some, I better hit for average, maybe get some doubles, drive in some runs, get some total bases, get my slugging up there. But waiting for the home run, it's not worth it. Well, the Cubs beat the Pirates by three touchdowns over the weekend. So you're saying the offense is fine, everything's good. Nope. Offense is down, home runs are down, and it's going to take three to five years before the system adjusts. Go back and picture, do you remember when it first started the infield shift? Very few teams were doing it on very few batters. It was noteworthy. Bryce Harper, there's a shift against Bryce Harper. I mean, that's just the first thing that came to my mind. I don't know why. We've got, it was mostly against lefties, and you would play three infielders to the right side of second base, to the first base side of second base. No one even mentions the shift anymore. They just do graphics on your TV, which just show where the infielders are, just in case you're trying to score at home, just in case you're trying to realize who's making what play. Is it the second baseman playing shortstop? Is the third baseman playing second base? Is it the second baseman in the outfield? What was it, the Blue Jays? I was watching a game recently, Coca. There were like four outfielders, sort of five outfielders. It looked like a little league game. I was just looking for Engelbert and couldn't find him on the field. But now everybody's doing it, therefore no incremental advantage. Who will be the first team to adjust to the new way you've got to play to win? We're going to start finding out. The second observation I have is people are losing their minds about the Oakland A's attendance. Why don't you take a look at the attendance all over baseball? It's April. After opening day, you get these decreases in every park other than the ones which sell out, which are very few and far between, and they're really none. It's really, when I say sell out, this is such a Marlins thing, right? Having worked with in teams where there was no attendance, where, <laughs> to me, if you're drawing 25000 on a Wednesday afternoon, like, you are the best team president ever in the best market I'd be green, like Hulk-like green with jealousy without the bulging muscles or the ripped shirt because I would never wear a ripped shirt. But that said, you look at those numbers and say, ooh, I want that. What would that feel like to walk into your stadium and have 25,000 people on a random Tuesday night against any opponent? But you're seeing a lot of eights, a lot of tens, a few twelves, some thirteens. What does it all mean? Nothing. 
But it's an observation that Oakland's getting all this heat because it looks extreme drawing three, 4,000 people. But when Major League Baseball looks at this, when Rob Manfred is scouring and combing attendance, guess what? The A's are last on his list of concerns. He's worried about them from a stadium standpoint, no doubt but not the fact that they're drawing 4,000 people. Far more concerned when there's new stadiums not drawing because one of the things that baseball does is they go to the municipalities and say, you've got to finance this new stadium. Why? Because you are going to increase your revenue. You're going to increase your attendance. There will be more people at the games in your community. It's going to feel really good for everybody. Number three. I don't know how many times we have to cover this. I'm getting frustrated, but here we go. Injuries are the single worst thing for fans, for owners, presidents, GMs, and for players who don't have guaranteed contracts. For players who do have guaranteed contracts, they don't care when they're hurt. Now, they're going to say they do, and they're going to get all upset, and they're going to say, oh, I'm coming back, looking forward to coming back. I'm going to work hard, and they do. But they still get paid every two weeks, no matter what, even if they don't come back. When there's a player playing for his next contract, now you may be wondering why I want every player to be a free agent at the end of every year, because then you're actually paying for performance But for a player who doesn't have a guaranteed contract, they get hurt. It hurts their arbitration because they don't have the bulk stats. And that hurts their next year of arbitration and their next year of arbitration. The only thing that it doesn't hurt when you're a young player and you get hurt when you're young, it doesn't hurt your free agency. Because if you can not be injured after your injury for a couple of years and have good performance, you're going to get a good free agent contract. But the injuries happen when the players are not ready. We saw the entire offseason during the lockout. This was good. I like this when when the players put out videos, when they're having catches in their hotel room, when they're quarantined, or they're having catches in their backyard during the lockout because they weren't allowed to go to fields. It is such a bunch of horse hockey that I could barely watch it without closing my eyes and having smoke come out of my ears. Players during the offseason have access and use facilities, whether it is the major league facilities, minor league facilities, their hometown college facilities, high school facilities. There are mounds, there are fields, there are people to throw to, there are people to hit to. There are ways to keep yourself and get yourself ready. Back in the day, players didn't do much until after January 1, and then they'd start throwing a little bit. They'd start hitting in the cage a little bit. These days, players are taking much less time off. And everybody claims, everybody claims, spring training's too long. I think it's too long. It drives me insane. Spring training's for pitchers. You hear that? Pitchers have to stretch themselves out. Some hitters say, I need to get 75 at-bats or 80 at-bats during the spring, and then I'm good to go. I'll be ready. And during the course of the lockout, it was way too important to the players to play 162 games. Not the owners, the players. I still think if the owners had told the players that we will pay you for 162, but we only want to play 154, the players would have, of course, said yes to that. But there are certain owners, more than seven, 
who would lose money by losing four home games. 162 to 154 is eight. You lose four home games, four road games. When we were trying to shorten the season permanently from 162 to 154 as part of the strategic plan and, and competition committee, we could never get 23 votes because there are more than seven teams, which means they can block that sort of change. There are more than seven teams who derive amazing gate revenue, and they were not interested in losing four home games, which is what they would have had to do, unless they were made whole by Major League Baseball central revenue. And Major League Baseball could not find the way economically to make those teams whole. They would not get the votes to make those teams whole because in general, teams go up, they go down. People say the Cubs have been drawing forever. The Yankees have been drawing forever. That's a bunch of horse hockey. I told you when I was growing up in the 80s, I could go to Yankee games and sit wherever I wanted. There was no one there. You could go watch a Cubs game and you'd be alone. Things tend to be cyclical. And if there were a deal done where there were certain teams that would get made whole for those lost four home games, that was not tenable for small revenue teams. And the amount of money that was being asked by the big teams, the San Francisco's, the St. Louis's, et cetera, was as though they had a full stadium and their ticket prices were increasing year after year at a rate that would make you blush. So economically, we could never go from 162 to 154. So it was critical to have 162 for players, for a couple of the owners, for enough of the owners. And the result of that was a shortened spring training. And we told you what happens when there's a shortened spring training. Players get hurt. Are you noticing the hamstrings? Yes, I'm talking to you, Eloy Jimenez of the Chicago White Sox. Are you noticing the forearm tightness, the shoulder, the elbow, the hip? Oh, my. The knee. I'm not talking about like concussions, like Caruso of the Bulls missing a game because you get hit in the head when you're approaching home plate or whatever, hit by a pitch. I'm talking about musculature. I'm not a doctor. Can I say that, Coca? Is it musculature issues? Skeletal issues? Do skeletal have to be bones? Doctor, doctor, can't you see I'm burning, burning? Nah, that's a Thompson Twins reference that no one's going to get. <sighs> it's just another Monday. Injuries. How do you deal with those when you are a running a team? Everybody gets a pass. It's the strangest thing. If you are a team like the White Sox and you are underperforming, you're six and nine, everyone's calling for Tony LaRusso's head, but the reality is there are injuries multiple, two years in a row, but this year especially, the White Sox are crushed by injuries. Kenny Williams or Rick Hahn, the president of baseball operations, the GM, they can't go to Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, and say, listen, I know you're watching the Bulls get their butts kicked by the Bucks, but that said, do you want to pay attention here? Because we stink. And the season's 10% done, Samson said. What can we do? And Reinsdorf said, you're not firing my man, LaRusso. It's not his fault. Why don't you go get some depth? And they say, Jerry, why can't we be the Dodgers and have some depth? Jerry says, why don't you be quiet and go to the game? That's how conversations go. Nothing you can do about injuries. But what about the Philadelphia Phillies? What's their excuse? Have you watched how bad they are? When, they, when that team was put together by Dave Dombrowski, money was no object. God knows they signed Schwarber. They signed Castellanos. 
They have they signed Realmuto. They signed Harper. They signed Gregorius. They signed Wheeler. Wow. They have spent some cash. And guess what? It's all added up to the number of how many playoff wins does Bryce Harper have since joining the Phillies? I think it's the same number as Mike Trout, Coca. I think it's zero. The Phillies are six and ten. Their defense is terrible. Their pitching is mediocre with occasional doses of complete triple anus. And their hitting is not timely and mostly non-existent. All you have to know about the Phillies is they're behind everybody but the Nationals. They may even be behind the Nationals. Hold on, this is a live check. I checked before. I checked as we were going on air. I really did. I just wanted to confirm what I was saying. Yes, they're above nobody but the Nationals. Told you. Which brings me to my fifth observation. It's an annual observation that all executives play. We sit around when we're eating before a game or eating in the clubhouse or during a game when we're paying attention, but in between innings, we're looking at the stands or we're looking at the standings, but generally the stands. And we'll say, all right, who's getting canned first? It's, it's a pool. Every team does it. You do GM, you do coach, manager. And so who do you have in the dead pool this year? I've got Joe Girardi. Now, you'd think that Dombrowski, who does not like fiery managers, but as he's gotten older in his career, he said, I don't want to be blamed. I'm new to Philadelphia. I don't want to be looked at as not having spent the right amount of money or the money right correctly. Joe Girardi, who did win a World Series, I will give him that. So he has as many World Series rings as a manager as I do as a president. So he does get credit. But the reality is... The team that's been built by Dombrowski and Girardi makes their owner, John Middleton, squirm because he was convinced that you can have a team without defense, but if you have no pitching and no defense, you're not going to win. You're not going to club people to death. Just ask Brian Cashman, who's, by the way, the Yankees offense. They're winning games with pitching, not hitting, which is sort of crazy. I've got Joe Girardi as the first manager fired. So we're 10% done, and you're going to blink, and it's going to be 20 we may have some observations after 20%. We may not. You just may have to tune in. So I was called by CBS Sports HQ, which is a free streaming 24-hour sports network that's really good, actually. The producers there care. The anchors care. The PAs, production assistants, the people in charge, they really do. The directors, the TDs, the TAs, the PAs, the PDs the XYs, the XXs. So I was on call because Miguel Cabrera was going to get his 3,000th hit. And because I was around when Miguel Cabrera got his first hit, I was the team president when he hit the walk-off in June of 03. June 20th, two days before my son was born, Miguel Cabrera had his first hit, and it was a home run. And... Now my son's in college, and Miguel Cabrera is still playing, and he's just got his 3,000th hit. It was a hit the opposite way, which means he went the other way. It was a great piece of hitting. So I'm on call, and the hit comes. I'm watching the game. It's, at one, it's a 110 game on a Saturday two days ago. Well, I don't know when you're listening to this. Two days ago for me. And... Cabrera, I'm sort of lying down watching the game. I know that whenever he gets the hit, I've got to be on the air. So when I have to be on the air, 
I sit in a way that I think will only mess up the back of my hair. So I'm sort of lying back, but I'm, I, I position myself back. Have you ever done this where, where your hair is against the pillow of the couch or of the bed, wherever you are, but you're doing it in a way that your hair stays down as opposed to sliding into a chair neck to top of head, which goes against the grain of your hair. I slide into a chair, top of the head down to the neck in order to keep the hair facing down. I'm sorry. Hold on, Coca. Stop. Stop. Coca's in my ears saying, shut up. It was in my head. I wanted to tell people how I sit in a chair and how I was watching his 3,000th hit. Anyway, he's got a 3,000th hit. I wanted to talk about something a little different. Miguel Cabrera, first ballot Hall of Famer. He is one of the top 10 greatest players of all time. Period. Top top 10 greatest offensive right-handed hitters of all time. How's that for a change of caveat? He may be a top 10 of all time. 500 home runs, 3,000 hits. He's going to have 600 doubles. Triple crown. MVP. Did he win an MVP, Coca? I think he won an MVP. But how about this? Everyone gets all excited and people fly to Detroit to go to the games. They get sponsored to go. It's history. Only 33 people have ever done it. And all I kept thinking about is, I'm pretty sure that the number's going to stop at 33. I want to know whether there'll ever be another player to get 3,000 hits. So I did a little work into this. And I looked at the, do you know who's the leading hitter right now in Major League Baseball, the most hits without having 3,000? It's the steroid guy, Robinson Cano. He's 39 years old. He has 2,600 hits, 2,630, whatever he has. He's 39. You think he has 360 more hits in him? 370 more hits? Good luck. Do you know who's after Robinson Cano? 500 hits behind Robinson Cano. Now, do the math here. 200 hits a year is unheard of. It used to be like the cream of the cream. Now, nobody gets 200 hits a year. I think the guy who led the league in hitting last year with Trey Turner with the uh, Nationals and the Dodgers, and he got 195 hits. And he was leading all of baseball in hits because no one gets hits anymore because everyone's trying for home runs, but they could change if they deaden the ball. Ooh, do you see the tie back to the first segment? Maybe if the ball changes, players will try to get more hits. Yadi Molina is retiring at the end of this year. He only needs about 850 hits this year. He's got a chance. Joey Votto's 38. He only needs a grand. That means he's got to get 200 hits a year till he's 43 years old. Good luck. Forget Votto. Ah, don't worry. Nelson Cruz needs over 1,000 hits. 41 years old. He only needs 200 hits a year for five more years. Forget it. Then you go down the list and you say, oh, Jose Altuve could get it. 1,785 hits, let's say. He needs 1,200 hits. That's six years of 200 hits a year. No problem. He's 32. There's a lot of 37-year-olds who get 200 hits. Not. Oh, but David, do the math. He could get 150 hits a year. 150, 300, 600 is four seasons. 600. Wow, that gets him to 2,400. He's got to get six more hundred. That's eight more years. 
He's 32. He's going to get 150 hits a year till he's 40 years old? Okay. Next. You got to go all the way down the list to my main man, Giancarlo Stanton. 1,300 hits. He only needs 1,700. He's 32. No. How about Manny Machado? He's 29. Everyone's saying Manny Machado, he could be the guy. Do you get where I'm going with this? He's got 1,500 hits, so he's halfway home. That's amazing, right? He's 29. Let's say he's been playing since he was 20. That means he only has to play till he's 38. Manny Machado could do it. Nope. The player with the best chance to get 3,000 hits is Juan Soto, and he's got 500 of them. He could play 10 more years, get 200 hits a year for 10 years, which would be unreal. Wait, 200 times 10 is what, Coca? 2,000 plus the 500 he has now? Oh, no. That would only be 2,500 hits. He'd have to do it for 13 more years. But he's only 20, 20 years old or 23. How old is he? 23? No problem. 200 hits a year till he's 36. Are you getting where I'm going with this? It's over. Find me another pitcher who's going to win 300 wins for a career. It's done. All the numbers that we viewed as these absolutes, greatness, Hall of Fame, 3,000 hits, 300 victories. Whoever saw Miguel Cabrera get his 3,000th has seen history, and it's going to be a, a decade at least until there's another, and there may not be another. And I'm not doing a wait to see because Coca is only signed to a nine-year deal, so I can't do anything 10 years out. When we come back, I watched a movie that I shouldn't have watched, but I did watch it. It's two hours and 56 minutes. It's called The Batman. Of course I was going to watch it. And then we're going to talk about something that's going on with fans. We've got to talk about fans because you guys made the news in Minnesota. You made the news in Cincinnati. You made the news in New York. We're going to talk about it when we come back. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you. Please rate, review, and follow. Plus, get on TikTok because you may see some Coca videos. But go to Spotify and follow. Go to Apple. Write a review, please. We need more. And then YouTube at Nothing Personal with David Sampson. And spread the word. Still watch a movie every day. Tomorrow, I am reviewing, because of you, Coca, and your list of top five 
April 20th movies to watch at 4.20 p.m. while 19.20 is baked. Well, I got 68.69 baked. I got a nice Manischewitz Passover chocolate cake. I had matzah with butter and salt on one piece, matzah with butter and cream cheese on another. I had a chocolate cake, a coffee cake. Thank you, Mom. Then I had no marble cake. Can't find the marble cakes anymore. Make sure that I am right around 68, 69s, and boom, put in Friday. I'm going to review it tomorrow. But for today, I'm reviewing the Batman. No, 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 no. Is Zoe Kravitz the daughter of Lenny Kravitz and Lisa Bonet, Coca? Lisa Bonet, the guy, the woman who was with Jason Momoa, who now isn't anymore. I don't know if Coca's still here, if he is. So Zoe Kravitz, her dad is Lenny Kravitz, and mom is Lisa Bonet. Okay. She is now uh, a full-fledged movie star. She plays Catwoman in The Batman with... Kristen Stewart's former boyfriend, the guy who was the werewolf in those movies, uh, Twilight. Also the guy with Willem Dafoe having that affair inside the lighthouse. Robert Pattinson, I don't know if they did something to his jaw, but his jaw, if you take your, if you ever take your SATs and your, or your, do they still do those, like achievements? And you have to do geometry. If you're looking for what a square is, take a look at Robert Pattinson's jaw. So the movie itself, two hours and 56 minutes, Colin Farrell plays sort of a mobster. Why do Coca people say that he's the penguin? I didn't quite follow that. He didn't look like the penguin. He looked like a mob guy. And then you had Paul Dano playing the Riddler, one of my favorite actors. The movie is the following. It's way too dark. And I don't mean dark like scary. I mean dark the lighting. I could barely see the characters, and there was a lot of talking like this. So I couldn't really understand what they were saying. So I put subtitle, closed caption on for a bit. It was fine. Here's my review. If you love movies like this, it's good. If you don't love movies like this, it's bad. If you are neutral to movies like this, it's still worth it. The Batman. I'm just more excited for tomorrow's review. Wait till I talk to you about Ice-T Cube. That's not his name. Cut that, Coca. I do not want to offend him. I, his name, he's the guy, he's the three-on-three guy, right? Um, I do, actually, he's had some statements, but it's, it's starring Ice Cube. Okay, play some music, Coca. We got to talk about fans. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get in Twitter. We're doing stuff at David P. Samson. We're having fun on Twitter. We certainly are. So please get in and ask question. David, what is happening at T-Wolves games is embarrassing for the NBA. How do you stop it from happening again? And does the NBA want the T-Wolves to lose to the Grizzlies? That's an awesome question. All right. Here's where we're going in the next three moments. So don't change the channel. We're talking about what happened in Minnesota. We're talking about what happened in Cincinnati. And we're talking about what happened in New York. Glenn Taylor is the owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Glenn Taylor makes his money not by owning the Timberwolves, even though he just is recently selling to this guy named Alex Rodriguez, but he still gets to sit first row and hasn't completed the sale. But he also has a 
bit of money in chickens. And apparently the chickens got sick or the chickens couldn't make eggs or the chickens couldn't make breasts or the chickens had too many bones in their wishes and the chickens could not be sold, so the chickens had to be killed. And the chickens may not have been killed by a firing squad. They were sort of killed in a gas chamber because they had the flu, the chicken swine flu, so they couldn't be eaten or egg laid or whatever the case may be. And there have been animal rights activists who said, that's not very nice or humane. You could have taken them out to dinner first before killing them. You could have let them speak to their families. You could have let them maybe given their last rights. Maybe they had to get their papers and documents together, whatever. You didn't let them do any of that. And then bing, bang, boom, dead, done. Clear them out. You're right, Glenn Taylor's is the only company doing that. Better yet, he should have kept the chickens going with the flu, let them lay the eggs, let them get split up into wings, breasts, thighs, and cheekbones, and pig hooves, and gelatin. Send it to you. We'll get sick and say, oh my God, Glenn Taylor, you gave us the flu. Anyway, Pete is not so happy. They want what's best for those animals to live a very happy life with the flu. (laughs) So what do people do? The Minnesota Timberwolves are playing. And they decided to be unbelievably irresponsible, dangerous, and on top of everything, ineffective. They started by gluing their hand to the court. Remember that one? That was a good one. How about the woman who chained herself to the stanchion behind the basket, part of the basket? That's a good one. But they stepped up their game this weekend. And a woman rushed the court wearing a referee shirt with a whistle, trying to call a technical foul on Glenn Taylor, who she was sitting right behind. She runs onto the court, gets tackled by, there once was a boy named Pierre, who always would say, don't go there. Hear his story, my friend, for you'll find at the end that a suitable moral lies there. The suitable moral, according to Maurice Sendak, and as guaranteed by Pierre, the amazing security guard, go check the video, who tackled this woman after one step, is that what is the object of your game, Pita, or the other organization, or it's the same organization who took credit like it was a terrorist attack. They did a press release about, about doing this. It's not dangerous to the players what you did. It's not helping the chickens what you did. It's going to take away your freedom as it should. I hope you go to jail. But let me ask you this. What about the person who watches what you're doing and says, I got an idea. I'm going to rush the court because I have a belief in something else. Remember when Monica Sellis got stabbed by a crazy fan? I worry about my players every day. I worry about them when they're interacting with fans, not just because of the movie The Fan, There's a scary movie if you want to watch one. Not scary like jumping out of closet scary. Well, just, yeah, not comfortable. I worry because one bad apple ruins the entire batch, and that bothers me. What bothers me is that what you're doing is making it so that fans who actually can be around players and enjoy players and enjoy proximity to players and try to get autographs from players... All of the 99% who behave, the 1% who doesn't ruins it for the other 99. It is the opposite of utilitarianism. It is the opposite of the greatest good. One of you is dictating major changes. It's like the damn shoe bomber. We're still taking our shoes off getting on planes if you don't have TSA. 
Security has to be increased around players. Players are more reticent to interact and engage with fans because it's not just the people who come onto the stands with animals in mind. Players will say to me in the clubhouse, what if I, I didn't get a hit right there? And what if someone bet on the game? What if someone bet on me to get three hits? I only got two. What if someone lost everything and has nothing to lose but to attack me? Players think about this. Animal rights activists think about nothing but getting their word out as though it's going to change. You're right. Glenn Taylor is totally changing everything he's doing. All you're doing is hurting everybody else. I was so angry watching it, I can't even tell you. Get your act together. And is the NBA want the T-Wolves out of the playoffs? You bet your bippy they do. You think they want the T-Wolves to have even one more home game? Watch for the Grizzlies to win that series. Sorry, A-Rod. Do you know how I stop it from happening? I line the court with security. Oh, I can't see? We would get complaints like that from fans. I've obstructed view because there's a security guard in my way, and I point him right to PETA. What about fans who are not doing anything to interrupt the game but still get in trouble? This was always a very tough one for me, and here was my decision. Because there'd be signs brought to Marlins Park and Pro Player Stadium about our team, about us. Samson, you stink. Loria, you stink. Marlins, you stink. I didn't really like signs. But I always got to say, if you're not obstructing anyone's view, then you can keep your sign. Don't swear. Don't say any bad words. Don't do anything That can be not family-friendly. But if you want to hold up a sign, don't be political. Don't hold up a sign about Castro. If you want to hold up a sign that you want me to do better, I'm in. The way I'm going to react to it is when I see it, I may go talk to that fan, try to disarm that fan, try to convince that fan one at a time the way we've built nothing personal one at a time, try to see if I can explain to fans why we're doing what we're doing, why we trade who we trade why our payroll is where our payroll is. In Cincinnati, who finally broke their 11-game losing streak, they're 3-13, and, and 13, worst record in the league. People came to the Reds game this weekend wearing paper bags over their heads. Not original, folks. Now, in baseball, I never worried about that during the summer because you have to be insane to do it during the summer because you're going to schwitz to death. But during April, you can do it. So the Reds people came. They had bags over their heads, and the bag said, please sell Bob. The amount of times that owners or presidents here sell the team, get fired, leave, get out of here, find someone else. The grass is definitely greener where my chickens are going to be once they've got the flu and you don't kill them in the chamber. But the Reds were not happy with people wearing those bags. And they went up to the fans and they said, take them off. And it got so much attention Bob Castellini and your son, Phil, who run the team, I want to give you a quick reminder of what I know you know because we've talked about it. Don't give oxygen to stories about you. Anybody can say whatever they want. 
I told you what Ted Lerner told me when Ted Lerner was getting criticized before the Nationals won the World Series in 19, when we were getting criticized during the course of our careers. Ted Lerner sat me down and said, remember, anyone can say anything to you, no matter what they say, no matter how badly they're trying to hurt you, they wake up in their bed the next morning and you wake up the president of the Marlins. I thought about that. It didn't help me get thick skin. It helped me keep my thick skin. Bob Castellini owns the team, just like Fred Wilpon owned the Mets, and there's not one thing anyone can do about it. No matter how many times you get an airplane to fly with a little sign behind it that says, sell now, you stink. Why would you ever draw attention to those things? It would be like, now we would tell the broadcast for sure. Hey, there's fans in section 269. I do not want them on camera. Absolutely. We will control it in that way. But escort them out of the ballpark? Tell them to take their bags off? Do you know, do you remember the New Orleans Saints? Many of you don't before Drew Brees. They were called the New Orleans Aints. I don't know if you knew that, but they were. People wore bags. That's where it started, I think. The first bag I ever remember was in New Orleans. I was little. What's the big deal? You still on the team? They made a mistake with that, that's for sure. What about in the Yankee Stadium? Coca went to a game, calls me up and says, you cannot believe the mayhem. I turn it on, and I see that they're playing the Guardians on Saturday. And there are fans throwing things toward the Cleveland players. Bottles, food, anything they could find. The Yankees were our pick of the day on Sunday, and Garrett Cole pitched a great game, and we won that game. But I'm more focused on Saturday with the fans throwing debris. People kept asking me, how would you handle this? Not only is it an immediate ejection, it's a you're never invited back. It is so dangerous. If you talk to players inside a clubhouse, they will tell you that what they're not scared of someone rushing the field, even though I'm scared about that for them. They don't think about that much because they feel like even if security doesn't deal with it, they're big enough to take care of it. Though I, I don't buy that because the surprise factor and just being caught off guard, etc. They're worried with their back toward fans that fans are going to throw things. One of the ways to avoid that is to put netting around the entire field. Keep going, Yankee fans, bleacher creatures, because all that's going to happen is you're going to get netting. It's already extended to the foul poles in many ballparks. You think it's going to be hard for owners to say, you know what? We're not taking this risk. MLB's saying we're not taking the embarrassment, the chance that players are going to get hurt and hit. Yankee fans should be ashamed of themselves. I was embarrassed to be a New Yorker on Saturday. Aaron Boone was left to talk about it when it should have been Hal Steinbrenner or Randy Levine, the owner of the president, or Brian Cashman, the GM. Aaron Boone said, we've got great fans, but we just can't have that. You can't have it. Torres, the player who hit the walk-off that game, he's the one who talked about it. Where's Aaron Judge or Giancarlo Santa or DJ LeMayhew? Anthony Rizzo's a veteran. Labor Torres, he's the one. You've got to say publicly to your newspaper reporters to get it out to your fans, hey, 
not acceptable. You don't caveat it with, we've got the best fans in the world. We love our fans. We love the passion. We love the emotion. No, you don't screw around with that. You know you're talking only to a tiny, tiny minority. Why do you have to be careful with your words? I wouldn't coach the manager to say what, what Aaron Boone was coached to say. Hey, we love our fans, but we just, that's unacceptable. No. The answer is we have the greatest fans in the world except those. Those are not fans of our team. Those are hooligans. Just say it. Everybody is so afraid to disparage their fans because they have this view that it's going to impact the way the, the revenue of the team or the popularity of the team. There are 50,000 people going to Yankee games and 49,990 of them are awesome, passionate fans. And then you've got 10 putzes. Call them out. And then how about a little self Watch, what's the word, Coca? Self-watching? Where you've got the fans taking care of fans, making sure they're self-policing? I don't think that's the word either. I can't think of it. But the word is, if you tell the fans, hey, you like sitting in the bleachers? One more time that happens, we're putting up netting. Yeah, that'll stop you from catching a home run ball. It won't stop home runs because home runs will go in the net. But it's certainly going to make it less fun there. So if you see fans doing something, you may want to stop it before it starts. Embarrassing. On Saturday, we had the Nets over the Celtics. It was the one loss of the weekend. That'll do it. And then on Friday, we had the Bucks beating the Bulls. So something about the Bucks game that was noteworthy to me was this. Giannis, and I've spoken to several Milwaukee friends about this. I think Giannis is going to end up being the greatest Buck of all time, better than Oscar Robertson, better than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I think he'll be known as the greatest bucket. Doesn't mean he's going to be a better player overall than Kareem, but Kareem was only on the Bucks for six years, let's say. I think Giannis will be known as the greatest buck of all time, which is quite an amazing feat. But do you get nervous when he does the Euro step in the lane and the twist and the pull and the he's at the basket that he's going to land on someone's foot or sprain his ankle or sprain his knee? I, I, I would think about watching pitchers run to first base and worried about their hamstrings, watching Stanton run to first base, worrying about his hamstring, watching people try to score from first, worrying about injuries. I'm wondering if I were running the Bucks, I think I'd be frantic every single offensive play. But the Bucks over the Bulls was an easy pick. We went two and one, 49 and 41. How about today's personal pick of the day? Mavs Jazz, game five. There's nothing better than a game five tied at two. 3-1 game five, not as fun, but a 2-2 game five, it's really just the best two out of three series. I've got the Mavs. I can't figure out why, other than the fact that I've been telling you that Luka is going to get a ring before Trey, and Trey is done with the Hawks. I mean, they're done. They gave up last night against the Heat. Mavs, minus three over Jazz. They're going to take a 3-2 lead. Okay, 
That's all we have time for. We will get to Michael Conforto tomorrow. And the reason I want to get to him is that so many of you have asked about he's a player who just had surgery and therefore will not be able to make money this year. I do want to talk about that comp tomorrow. But just like that, we're done for today. Thanks for tuning in. It's just business. This is nothing personal. 